the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The parable of the Good Samaritan was prompted by a question asked by the lawyer. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He asked the question to test Jesus. That is, he didn't really want the right answer. He wanted the wrong answer so he could discredit Jesus as a teacher. The answer Jesus gives serves two purposes, or served two purposes. First, Jesus had some fun at the lawyer's expense. He got the lawyer to acknowledge that a despised Samaritan might be closer to eternal life than two observant Jews. Second, it highlighted the futility of trying to find something to, quote, do to inherit eternal life. The question asked by the lawyer was also asked later in Luke's Gospel by the rich young ruler. This was a young man who had all his life done his best to be faithful to the Torah. Jesus said to that young man, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. The young man went away sad. It wasn't the answer he was looking for. In both cases, Jesus told the person to do the thing he could not do. The lawyer could be religious, but he couldn't love those he hated or love those who hated him. The rich young ruler could also be religious and could even be kind and charitable, but he couldn't give away all his money. This highlights the central point Jesus is making. There is nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. Eternal life is a gift that we receive through faith. As Jesus said in John's Gospel, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Of course, the answers Jesus gave to the lawyer and the rich young ruler were not meant to suggest that either would inherit eternal life by doing nothing but sitting still and having faith. The point is that we go about looking for something to do to justify ourselves, to guarantee our place in the resurrection life in the world to come. We won't find it. No action of ours can fulfill the righteous demands of the Torah. When we look for something to do, we end up looking to justify ourselves. We look to find loopholes. We <coughs> define neighbor to exclude those we don't like. We avoid the implications of stewardship and the sacrificial ways God might call us to give. We become comfortable being nice, religious people who feel better than others who are not religious, and we close our ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Jesus fulfilled the Torah on our behalf. There is nothing we can do to inherit eternal life but put our faith in Him. However, once we have put our faith 
in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of the Spirit, we will be called to do all manner of new, risky, and holy things. The good works that God has prepared for each of us to walk in are the evidence of our faith. They show it as real. Good works born of love distinguish true faith from mere religion. Our behavior is sacramental. Our outward and visible actions reveal our inward and spiritual faith. Through faith in the gift of the Spirit, we become like Christ. We are restored to the image of God that we lost in the beginning through sin. And our behavior comes to reflect this new identity. What we do is a result of who we are. Being like Christ or being made to be like Christ means becoming a missionary. We were the wounded person by the side of the road, left half dead by our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus came down from heaven, the Son of God became man to reach out and save us. He called each of us to faith, and he brought us to the inn, the church, where we convalesced until we got well. If we have experienced this grace, our natural impulse will be to reach out to others and give to them what we ourselves have experienced. The priest and the Levite in the parable are caricatures of religious people who are concerned with proper religious conduct at the expense of love. If either of them had actually helped the half-dead man, and if the half-dead man by chance became fully dead, both would have been ritually unclean and unable to perform their duty in the temple. They had a religious justification for not helping, for continuing on the road and going on to the temple. We are all religious. We have fixed patterns of behavior, and we do certain things repeatedly in the same way. This is not a bad thing. Man is a liturgical creature, and we wouldn't be very efficient or effective if we tried to do everything in a completely new way every day. However, as with the priest and Levite, there's a danger that our devotion to patterns and routine will get in the way of our duty to love. Our liturgy of life may have us running so hurriedly from one place to another that we neglect the people we encounter along the way. The thus performance of my routine, the urgency I have created for myself, my religious orthodoxy, gets in the way of my love for neighbor. But I can justify my failure to love because there are things I have to do. 
There are places I have to be. There are things I'm responsible for. If I stop my routine to help this half-dead person, I will not get my stuff done. Now, this tyranny can also work in the other direction. We can develop a savior complex and come to feel that it is our duty to save everyone. This need to be needed is not love. It is our need, not the need of another person. And this need quickly morphs into guilt and leads us to give money to people who are sitting by the entrance to the store or by the off-ramp on the freeway. Because we will feel guilty if we don't give. And of course, that's precisely why they are in that particular place. They know that we will feel guilty. And it's very possible. <coughs> and they know we'll feel even guiltier if they have a child with them. If we want to imitate the Good Samaritan, if we want to love and care for others the way that imitates Christ's love for us, we need to take one huge principle to heart. The relational need is greater than the monetary need. Monetary giving often mitigates against real love because it creates dependency, inequalities, and resentment. This is why it doesn't work. When we, solve, when we try to solve a relational problem by giving money, we end up with more of the need. This is the lesson of most of our overseas charities and the lesson of the welfare state. This is what wise practitioners are saying to us in books we've encouraged people to read like When Helping Hurts and Toxic Charity. Most chronic needs result from broken relationships. A person does not know God and has a false sense of self as a result. A person was raised in a broken family where they were estranged from genuine community and sense of place. Consequently, they have no ability to engage the world in an effective way. We can only mend the answer broken relationships by developing new and healthy relationships in their place. This is why the church is so important. The good Samaritan brought the wounded man to the inn, which represents the church. The church is the hospital for sinners. It is the place where people are reconciled with God, but also with other people, the body of Christ, who represent God for them in tangible and sacramental ways. It is the place where they learn a new sense of their own worth and gain the ability to begin to interact with the world more effectively. I used to think that the church was incidental to the exercise of charity. The church could give money to help people without actually drawing people into the fellowship.
fellowship with the church. I now believe just the opposite. We cannot really help the wounded, and our wounds cannot be helped without being drawn into relationship, without drawing them into relationship with us, without our own relating with other people. This requires a place where people can learn about God and develop a network of stable and healthy relationships with God's people over long periods of time. This requires the church. Giving always costs money. But if that is all it costs, we are not really giving. The truth is we often give money to avoid relationships. We give to the man in the corner because we don't want to deal with him. Money is the easy way. It will not solve the real need of heart for relationship. The Good Samaritan committed himself to the wounded man, but he did not do everything. He brought him to the church where the gifts of other people could also minister to his needs. This shows the church has both external ministries who reach out and bring people in, and also internal missionaries who help those who are brought. Your challenge and mission is to discern where your particular gifts fit into this missionary enterprise. We cannot do anything to inherit eternal life. But if we are, in fact, heirs of eternal life, the gift of the Spirit, we will have a natural impulse to share the gift. As we travel along the road of life, as we perform our daily liturgy, we will make room to connect with the wounded we see by the roadside. We will listen to them and get to know their stories. And this will provide room for us to tell them our story of redemption that we experience through faith in Jesus Christ. And we will bring them into the church, the new family of God, because this is the only place where they can be fully healed. Don't ask what you can do to inherit eternal life. Instead, show that you belong to Christ. Reveal that the kingdom of God is within you by being 